Welcome to That's a Good Word, a podcast designed to assist and equip Christians through advice from people in ministry. Tonight, we have Gary Rogers, who's joining us on the show. Gary Rogers has been a pastor for 32 years. He is currently the interim pastor at First Baptist Campbell. He has been in fire and law enforcement for over 20 years, been part of the SC State Firefighters Association for 12 years. He is currently the full-time chaplain for Boiling Springs Fire Department. He started there in 2018. He is married to Suzanne, who's here with us tonight. Um, They've been married for 38 years now. He has two daughters, Jennifer and Taylor, four granddaughters, and two son-in-laws. Gary, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. So glad to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So how we always start, just want to kind of get your story, talk about how you started ministry and what has been going on since then and and where you are now. I'm an old guy. It may take a while for me to tell my story. You're good. Go for it. But... uh, well, as far as in ministry goes, uh, Suzanne and I were were married in 1984, October of 1984, and uh, I think we both knew that that God was like dealing with my heart about something ministry wise. I I had no idea. I've always done music, and so I had thought for years that if I did anything in full time ministry, it would be somehow with music. Had no idea what God was going to do as far as me in ministry. But in uh, December of that same year, December of 1984, uh, I just came to the realization without a doubt that God was calling me to preach. And so I shared that with her and went and told my pastor. Well, that was kind of where it started. Uh, I was a member of Pleasant Grove Baptist Church down in Greer, and Drew Hines was my pastor. And so um, they licensed me to the ministry by uh, the following year, 1985, I preached my first sermon. It all kind of happened fast as far as uh, surrendered to, to the ministry in 84, preached my first sermon and started preaching a little bit around the Greer area for some people that I knew that would have me. And uh, by 1986, I was pastoring my first church. So it, it kind of happened quickly. I was a student at North Greenville College at that time it was. And um, so that's how I, that's how I started. So pastored for 32 straight years, full-time pastorates, back, oh, a little over 20 years ago, uh, I became a chaplain of, um, of the Parker District Fire Department, which is in Greenville, West Greenville area. I pastored a church at that time that was in that fire district, and the church had a lot of firefighters in it, and uh, they needed a chaplain for their fire department. They had they always had two. One of them had moved away, so they approached me about becoming one of their chaplains. And I thought, well, that'd be a great way to connect with the community and have kind of expand the territory a little bit of, of ministry. So I said, yeah, I'd be glad to do that. Uh, when all that happened, I, I started going by the fire stations, which is what you do as a chaplain. And I, the way I put it, I got bit by the firefighting bug. Now, I didn't have a background in it, didn't know anything about it. Eventually went through uh, Emergency Services Academy in Spartanburg County, started my classes there, became uh, a firefighter, volunteer firefighter and chaplain. And from there, the chaplain ministry just really began to flourish and uh, God just really opened up a lot of doors. And so uh, I did that for, like I said, over 20 years as a full-time pastor and a volunteer with the fire service. And then just about five years ago, the fire chief at Bowen Springs Fire District in Greenville, there's a, a few different Bowen Springs around, but this one's in Greenville. He approached me and asked me to pray about 
coming on staff with them full-time. I had been a volunteer. I actually had started the chaplain ministry as a volunteer many years earlier, but he, he, he said he really wanted somebody that would be on staff full-time responsible for chaplain ministry. And at the beginning, it would involve some other duties with the fire service. I, uh, when, I, when I took that, when I prayed about it and I knew God wanted me to do that, I became what was called community risk reduction manager and chaplain. Then July of last year, the community risk reduction part of that job was given to someone else. So I'm full-time in chaplaincy now. That's my day-to-day -day ministry is chaplaincy. And so that gives me the opportunity to do like I'm doing now at First Baptist Campobello and to do some interims and pulpit supply and things like that. So that's uh, that's a quick run through of uh, from where we started to kind of where I am now. But right. that's what we're doing in ministry now. That's awesome. Um, I, I love to kind of if you would dive into a little bit that transition period from going to pastor to chaplain. Can you dive a little more into that and, and that calling that God had in your life? It's a. Uh, it's definitely a different sort of a call, and, and um, it's still hard sometimes for me to wrap my mind around because uh, I, I'd, all, I'd been a pastor for so long, and um, to think about doing anything else other than pastoring the local church and that being my sole ministry, it, uh, it was a lot to pray through. I, I had known that chaplaincy and emergency services was, uh, it was a rewarding ministry, and it's a, it's a it is an unreached people group, if you want to use that terminology that we use in missions sometimes, and very few people who can get on the inside of that world of emergency services. And so I had been given that opportunity in Spartanburg County as one of the volunteer chaplains with the Spartanburg County Sheriff's Office. One, uh, one of my good friends is uh, Benny Durham, who used to pastor Marietta First Baptist Church. He became the full-time chaplain. He had been a volunteer, kind of similar to my story. He'd been a volunteer chaplain with the sheriff's office in Greenville County. And then ultimately they called him on board full-time. So he kind of did that same ministry transition only with law enforcement. And I remember telling Benny one day, because I'd had Benny up to the church I pastored at that time to do a special uh, memorial service. And I said, you know, if something like that ever became available in the fire service, I would really be interested in it. One year later was when Chief Graham from Boyle Springs approached me about this. But it's, uh, it's uh, it, sometimes I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that I'm doing this, even though I'm connected, because I believe in the church and I love the church. What, uh, what I hated was, was that there were some who misunderstood. When, when I resigned the church, I was the pastor of at that time. Great church, great people, great ministry that God was blessing me with there. But I told him, I said, God's calling me to the mission field. And uh, I said, I'm going to be a missionary to the fire service. And that's how I did approach it. And that's how I still approach what I do, a missionary to the fire service. Um, there were several that misunderstood I know that even after I left the area where I was, uh, there were some who kept asking people, well, why did Gary leave the ministry? Why did he get out of the ministry? And uh, why isn't he in the ministry anymore? What they didn't understand is I did not leave the ministry. Right. I, I absolutely did not do that. I didn't get out of the ministry. God called me into a very unique, because i as far as I know, I'm the only one in our state that has 
this kind of full-time opportunity with a local fire department to do what I'm doing as a chaplain and to represent our Lord and in, uh, in the emergency services. I didn't get out of the ministry. I got into a whole new avenue of ministry. I got into a whole new open door, a whole new open room, uh, if you will, of, of ministry opportunities where in so many cases, there's nobody else there to stand in and represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, it's, uh, and like I said, it's still hard for me to imagine that I'm doing this sometimes. And I don't know how long I'll do this. I don't, I don't, I apparently I don't have to know right now. You know, I'm, I'm 61 years old and a lot of people my age, they're talking about retirement. And I know that that will come one of these days with, with what I'm doing, it will. But I, I mean, even now I don't, think about retirement and that I'm going to retire and sit down at the house, you know, I, I, I think I'll probably pastor again. That's kind of what I think. What'll happen? I don't know for sure. I don't have to, I'll know when the time is right. I believe I'll pastor again, whenever this time is done, but I'll always be involved in some way. I became an instructor this past year in chaplaincy. Why? So I can teach now. So that'll be part of what I believe I'll do as long as I'm physically able and God lets me keep my mind. Right. Exactly. So, and one thing I think there's a stigma is that, oh, you're a ministry. Okay. Are you a pastor? Are you in music ministry? Ministry is everywhere. That's, that's the reality. I love that statement. Yeah. I love that. That's twice I've heard you say that in our conversations. Ministry is everywhere. Right. Not, and not just geographically of where you are, but occupationally ministry Absolutely. Is, is, is everywhere. So, um, that's, that, that is great. And I, yes. And that was something that helped me that statement right. because, um, when we were when we were praying and and when I had accepted this position as chaplain, I know uh, Suzanne had shared it. My wife had shared it with somebody, uh, Kathy Cashin, who a lot of uh, people in our area know. Though Kathy, and she made that statement. She told Suzanne. She said, "Well, ministry's everywhere," and that mm. helped me when I said, "Yeah, that's exactly right," and that's exactly what my life is about. Right, ministry's everywhere, and I try to. So I love the fact that you're using that statement, Wilson. That's that's great. Right. Thank you. Um, and, and another thing I wanted to ask was, and, and we're kind of segueing here, but one thing I always like to ask pastors is, if you could start all over again, mm-hmm. right? No. If you could start all over, <laughs> what advice would you give to yourself? What would you say again? Uh, what would you say to yourself, to your younger self, you're starting all over? If I were talking to the 24-year-old Gary Rogers when at 24, I started pastoring. I was 24. My wife was a 21-year-old pastor's wife. I believe one of the things I would say to me would be, don't try to be who you're not. Don't try to be who you're not. Be the Gary Rogers that God created you and redeemed you to be. Because uh, I've had heroes in, um, in my life. I've had heroes in my ministry. And I love to, I would love to watch my heroes, uh, preach and hear my heroes preach. And, um, if I wasn't careful, I would try to emulate them. I would think I needed to be that I'm a, I'm an Adrian Rogers guy. Right. And back then, you know, Adrian pastor at Bellevue Baptist church there in Memphis, I would listen to him. I would listen to him preach while I'm getting dressed and getting ready to go to my little church that I was the pastor of. And, uh, and I'd try to walk in there and sound like Adrian Rogers, you know, nobody can imitate that big voice that God gave him, but I would try to be Adrian. I'd, 
I, I'd listen to Charles Stanley, you know, before I would go to church and I'd find myself saying, now watch this. Now watch this. Like, just like he does all the time. And, 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 you know, I would go to conferences. This is back in the eighties and there was a lot of conferences and church growth, this and church growth, that, and, and, uh, you know, I'd sit there and I'd say, I need to be, I need to be that. That's what I need to be. And that was so wrong. You know, whoever that God had is Adrian Rogers. He didn't need Gary Rogers right. trying to be Adrian <laughs> Rogers. And he didn't need me. He had his Charles Stanley and, and then Jerry Vines and, and all those guys that were heroes and continue to be heroes to me. He didn't need me to try to be them. And if I had to, if I had to, to go over again, I would say, don't try to be them, you know, learn what you can from people like that, but be the, be the Gary that I created you and called you to be. You don't have to try to imitate that church that they're the pastor of. I can remember, and I'm not blaming anybody. I'll take it myself. I can remember sitting in some of those conferences that were so prevalent in the, in the eighties. And I, I would almost be embarrassed that, uh, the church I was pastor of is, it's not doing that. They don't have, you know, 30,000 members and baptizing 600 people every year. And, and it's like, I need to be, so I would tell myself, you know, lighten up on yourself. You're not called to be that person and you don't pastor that church. Be faithful where I put you. Be the faithful Gary Rogers that I've called you to be and be faithful in the church that I've called you to. So that's one big thing I would say is don't try to be who you're not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing we're going to talk about later when you're talking about the numbers there and churches with big numbers. Well, you know, and we, we're talking about uh, what the marks of a healthy church are. And church growth does not always mean numbers. It, it can mean it can, it can mean health. And I don't want to jump ahead. We'll talk about that okay. here later. We talk about heroes and, and, and the kind of people we try to emulate. But also we talk about mentors. And you talked yeah. about Drew Hines a little earlier. Talk about some of the mentors you had in your life and the advice they gave you as you were going along. Yeah. Well, well, uh, I grew up as a, as a, as a kid under, um, a pastor that back then was, was well known around these parts. Dr. Everett Talbert was his name. And, um, so he was, uh, he was, uh, just a godly, godly man. He was a preacher. He was, uh, he was a good pastor and, uh, God used him to build some strong churches across this state. He was, he would preach a lot of revivals. He was not what we would call so much an evangelist. He was what we would refer to as a revivalist because he had such a heart for the church. And, and, and I'm so thankful. And he, he's, he went home to be with the Lord almost 30 years ago now. And, uh, I wish I had had him longer in my life, but, um, he had such a heart for the church. And I think that I got a lot of that from Everett Talbert, from his heart for the church, his passion for the church. And he passionately preached the word to the church and fed the word to the church. And so he helped me in a lot of ways to see the importance of that. Drew Hines that you mentioned, he's actually the one that, uh, that licensed me and ordained me to the ministry. Drew Hines is the pastor among pastors. I mean, he's a, he's a great preacher and he feeds the people the word, but his heart for pastoring the people just really showed me by his example, the importance of knowing your people and being a part of your people, uh, you know, shepherding your people. There's an old saying, I don't know who, who came up with it first. There's an old saying that says a good shepherd smells like sheep, 
you know, <laughs> and, and, and of course we're talking about shepherding the flock of God and you smell like your sheep. That is you, you're around them. You're with them and uh, you spend time with them. You get to know them and they get to know you. You're real with them. And, uh, so you become a part of, of each other's lives, your family as the pastor. So I think those are, those are a couple of men of God who actually pastored me that showed me and taught me those things, the importance of that biblical, passionate preaching for the church to be strong and the pastoring of the flock of God, getting close to your people and not being afraid to get close to your people. Right. Absolutely. So now kind of transitioning, what, what we really want to talk about tonight is for the most, for most of our time is chaplaincy in that ministry that, that you've had. Just for people that may not know, what does a chaplain do? What are your tasks? What are your duties? What does a week look like for you? Well, <laughs> on paper, I work eight to five Monday through Friday, but ministry does not happen eight to five Monday through Friday. Exactly. So uh, those are those are office hours, and that's another thing. I have an office. Thank God they don't expect me to stay in it. If I stay in my office, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing because part of it is being among the people and being there with the people and for the people. But so I'm on call whenever they have a, uh, a, a genuine need that needs me to come. But being a chaplain is there's a, there's a catchphrase in chaplaincy that goes like this. Chaplaincy is the ministry of presence. It's the ministry of presence. Now the being present with people is good ministry, being there with people. Being there for people is good ministry. I don't want to oversimplify anything of what I'm doing, but that's the most important thing that I do as a chaplain is being there for people. Now, being uh, the chaplain at a fire department is uh, is that I'm uh, I'm at my office. We our department has four stations among our 15 square mile radius. We're a we're a small as far as square miles goes, but in that square miles around Pelham Road area is jam packed. So there's a lot of people there businesses and homes. So the, the, I go visit the four stations. I just drop in. That's one of the similarities, I guess, with being a pastor is I still do visitation. And uh, I went to the hospital today. One of our commissioners is in the hospital. So I went to the hospital and made a hospital visit today. So just like I did as Pastor Gary for 30-something years. But go by and just walk in and not there to corner anybody, not there to pressure anybody into talking to me about chaplain stuff, but just to go by there and check on them and let them know I'm here. Hey, how's everybody doing? And make small talk with them, find out what they're doing, maybe see what they're training on and, uh, and, and just being there. Normally, uh, I don't get into a lot of chaplain Gary stuff with them there, but a lot of times how it happens is when I'm leaving the station, when I've, uh, when I'm saying, well, I'm going to go check on some others and I'm leaving, I'll walk out the door sometimes and they'll say, chaplain, can you wait just a minute? Can I talk to you about something? And it'll be that way. And maybe they just got something on their heart. Maybe it was a bad call. Our, our people in emergency services, they see some tough stuff mm. and it's hard to process the things that they see, the things that they hear, the smells everything. It sticks with you sometimes. They're, they're like photographs that attach to our minds that when they lay down at night, when they get by themselves, they're seeing it, they're hearing it, they're smelling it, they're 
whatever the experience may be. And that's normal for any so-called normal human being. The problem is when you get stuck there, we all struggle with things. And that's one good thing about where we are in the fire service and law enforcement emergency services is that we have come now to a place to where it's okay to admit that some of the things that we face, they do bother us. Doesn't mean that you're losing your mind. It means that you care about people. And isn't that the reason you ought to be in emergency services to begin with is because you're caring about people. They don't make much money. They're not getting rich doing what they're doing in any part of emergency services that you care about people. So we're, we're, we're doing what we're doing at a good time that people can't admit. And so sometimes I'm, I'm going to hear from, I, I go to calls. I don't go to every call. I go to some of the more difficult calls. I go to structure fires. I just automatically go to, we all do in the fire department. Uh, some of the wrecks that happen, if I hear that it's a pretty bad wreck, I'll go ahead and, and get in route to, to that. If I hear words like uh, ejection, somebody's been thrown from a vehicle or entrapment, somebody's trapped in. If I hear car versus motorcycle or car versus pedestrian, I know that's probably going to be a bad situation. Cardiac arrests, I, I go to those kind of things, those very difficult, very tough calls. And I'm there not just for our personnel at the fire department, but I'm there for the people in our community too. And because I don't know how many times I've stood there with a, with a wife as she moved from being a wife to a widow mm. because of cardiac arrest that happened in their living room. And they just need somebody there, the ministry of presence, being there for people, not having the answers because we don't have the answers. You know, we have the question, why did this happen? Why did it happen now? Why did it happen this way? And those are real questions, but our jobs are not to provide what those answers are. We can miss out on good opportunities for ministry by thinking we got to open our mouth and say something every time, mm. by thinking we've got to have all the answers. In, in over 20 years, probably going on, moving towards 25 years total, in chaplaincy, I have never had anybody at any fire department say, chaplain, we are so glad. Thank you for having all the answers. Nobody's ever said that. Why? Because I don't have all the answers. Mm. Chaplain, thank you for explaining to us why this happened. Nobody's ever said that because I can't explain all those things. You know what I hear over and over and over again? Chaplain, thanks for being here. Mm. Thanks for being here. Right. It's, it's, it's the ministry of presence, being there with people. I've gone through difficult times in my life, deaths of family members and, and things like that. And Wilson, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember anything anybody ever said to me during those difficult times, but I remember people who were there. Right. Okay. I, I thought about, I, I, I always think about Job mm -hmm. in, the, in the book of Job. He had some friends. And those friends started out doing a good thing. They, when Job's trouble started and he'd lost everything and he was, you know, just in such bad shape. And in, in Job chapter two, it talks about Job's three friends, uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And I love what verse 11 here says, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and comfort 
him. They made an appointment to come together and mourn with him and to comfort him. And, and down in verse 13, it says, so they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And it says in verse 13, and no one spoke a word to him. No one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. That was good ministry. If that's all they had done, Job would have been helped. They were there for him. They didn't try. It's when a little bit later in there, they started trying to say, well, Job, this and that and the other thing and try to explain it and say, you must have a bunch of sin in your life or you wouldn't be going. All those kind of, that's, that's when they blew it. Right. And so if they had just been there and there is powerful ministry through all the years I've been in the church as a pastor, I've had people say, ah, you know, I, I, I haven't reached out to this family whose loved one just died because I don't know what to say. And I'm like, if I had hair, I'd pull it out. It's like, you don't have to say anything. It's not going and saying something. It's just going and putting a hand on their shoulder. You know, it's going to say, I love you and I'm praying for you. That's, that's powerful. Right. To know that somebody is just there for you. And that's a lot of what I do in chaplain ministry is I've just, I go there for the people that work for our fire department, uh, other fire departments. Sometimes I'll go and, and, you know, I'm not just, it's not just us. It's not just Bowling Springs, mm. but all around and, uh, all around the, the county really, and, and wherever that need may be. So, uh, that's, uh, but that's a lot of what I do as a chaplain. And, right. and, and I imagine, and, sorry, yeah. I imagine that. If, if you were to um, try to have the answers all the time, you might not get the opportunity to have these conversations that you'd have with, the, yeah. with those chaplains. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think people want someone that, that feels like they know it, they know it all. And sometimes it's okay to say, I don't, I don't know it all. I do say that. Right. <laughs> um, when you, when, and when you do get that opportunity, someone as a, let's say someone in the fire department says, Hey, can we talk? Mm. Um, and they've gone through a lot of that grief. They have questions. How yeah. do you deal with it? Because I imagine the questions are, what, first question is probably why. How do you deal with that type of question? And, and, and what do you say to them? What I always do is I just kind of go back with them. I, I, I'll kind of talk with them through like um, whatever it is that they're struggling with. And there is power in letting them talk it out. It's not me hmm. talking to them. What I do doesn't, <laughs> it, it, it's not the healing be all end all healing. What I do is I help them process it. Our mind has to process mm. things that we go through. So I'll, I'll go back and I'll say, well, how did, how did this start? Tell me about when this started, that, uh, that this struggle began and let them describe it to me. And, um, however long they need to talk about that to describe what is, you know, what was your reaction when this started? How has your reaction to this changed? in the time that, uh, since this all first started and just it's some ways that I get them talking and by getting them talking, it, it, it's kind of like the pressure that leaves them. The, uh, the word picture I use sometimes is when you, if you get a soft drink and you twist that top, that, that pressure that comes out when you twist that top, that's what letting them talk about it does for them. It's getting that pressure off. Now I make sure they know, and our people that work at our fire department know, but I make sure everybody understands I'm not a counselor, not like a certified counselor. I counsel people, but I, I'm not a counselor. 
I'm not a psychotherapist or uh, a clinician or anything, but I know who those people are that I can recommend people to. Sometimes they just need to open up. In, in emergency services for years, you would hear from some hard-hearted old chief officer, well, you just need to suck it up and get over it. And I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what suck it up and get over it means, right. you know? And uh, what is, what, how do you do that? And uh, so, uh, you know, now it's not just suck it up and, and stop talking about it and get over it. It's, it's the power of releasing it. And uh, it's, if somebody that I'm talking to is more of a spiritually minded person, then I will tell them what's happening is that this memory, this, this terrible photograph, whatever it is that's sticking in your mind, is calling your name. And it's trying to take authority over you. If this person is a believer, I can tell them and uh, talk about it, describe it, because in talking about it and describing it, you're, you're reversing this thing. You're calling it out. Right. You're taking the authority that comes through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You're taking the authority over that that is calling your name, keeping you up at night, changing your whole personality. Mm. You call it out and you take the authority in the name of Jesus instead of letting it take the authority of your life. Now, it's more difficult if that person is not a, a believer and not spiritually minded. I just have to try to let them talk it out and get the pressure off. And if that's not enough, I, I keep up with them. You don't just talk to them once and drop them. Keep up with them because they may need to go to the next level. In our state, we have a, a peer support team called SC Fast. FAST stands for First Responders Assistance and Support Team. And so it's like a next level. They've had more mental and emotional health training. And they we have a great representation of those people in the fire service, in EMS, even now, even somewhat in law enforcement with SC FAST across the state of South Carolina. And so they're peers. That means that they understand the difficulties that emergency services people go through, which is different than anybody else. So they're more likely to open up if they're opening up to a peer rather than somebody that has no clue about it. And then the next level of that is I know who the clinicians are, the certified counselors who can help them go to that next level. So I just have to know my place and don't try to, again, it gets back to don't try to be something I'm Absolutely. not. Yeah. What I do fills an important gap, and then I've got to be mature enough to know when to hand it off to the next person. Absolutely. And so kind of now talking a little bit about your role as an interim pastor and what and what you do now at um at First Baptist Camp Bellow. And right now you're going through a series at your church called um, The Healthy Church, right? Going The Healthy Church. What marks a healthy church? I imagine as an interim pastor, you've, you've seen um, some United Churches. And, but you've also seen some churches where they, uh, where there's, where there's division and, um, that it's not as, is the health isn't there. Yeah. What, what would you say marks a healthy church? And you're going through Titus right now to kind of highlight that what marks a healthy, what makes a healthy church? Yeah. Um, you're right. I've, um, in the five years that I've been doing the chaplaincy as my day-to-day -day ministry, I've, I've got to go to a lot of churches. I've been blessed. There, there have, there hasn't been a lot of Sundays that I wasn't preaching somewhere, whether it was filling in for a pastor that was on vacation or, um, doing some revivals and, and now, uh, again, doing, doing an interim at first Baptist camp of Bella, 
so yeah, I, I've seen um, I've seen churches and been in churches that really kind of run the gamut, and um, the unhealthy churches that I've that I've seen it breaks my heart because I love the church and I just just passionately love the church and I want to see the church healthy, and um, but some of the unhealthy churches that I've seen have been been those who are so divided. There's such a spirit and an atmosphere of tension that is there. And uh, it's like you could cut it with a knife. It's so real, and the the, the tension is just so thick, and uh, an, an unwillingness to allow God to to lead them into what they need to be. It's 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 some that just try to to hold on to what used to be all the time. Now I am not one of these guys that'll tell you, you know, forget about everything that ever happened. I I you know I thank God you know, precious memories, how they linger, you know, that, that kind of thing. I, I love to reflect back and, and the Bible's filled with memorials, especially in the old Testament with remember this, remember what God did then. So I'm not one of those guys that says, don't, you know, just try to forget. But I, I am one to say, we don't need to get stuck with what used to be. And, and some of the ones that are unhealthy are just trying to, they're, they're not willing to open their eyes and see our community has changed. Uh, you know, the demographics has changed. The gospel has not changed and never will. Right. We don't ever need to change that. But you know, we're not who we were in 1959, mm. 1969. So is, it, is it mainly like a church directional thing, like that they that people disagree on how to how to take the direction of the church, or is it like a authority thing or a doctrinal thing? Yeah. Is it or is very it, little of it's doctrinal. Right. Okay. It's personal preferences, is what it is. Hmm. It's when it's when the people who have the say so, when the people who have the say so demand that everything be done according to their personal preferences. So many people have developed a God in their minds that is just like them. And they just believe God has the same likes, same dislikes, same biases, uh, everything that, that, that they do. And so it's it's really when they begin to demand what they like, what we like. It's not supposed to be about that. It's um, you know, it's it's about what God has called us to be. It's about who God called us to be. Uh, we got to be who God called us to be before we're going to do what God calls us to do. It's not even just about changing this or or changing that particular uh. uh function or structure or whatever, we got to first be who God called us to be. And we got to put that rebellious spirit aside to allow God to make us who we are called to be. Because when we do that, then you don't really have any trouble doing what we're called to do. And you'll, you'll allow the Holy Spirit to, to make you into what God wants you to be rather than just demanding on your own way. And that's been one of the biggest things is this is how I like it, or this is how we like it. Well, you know, fine, we all have our preferences, but I learned a long time ago, I don't even have to like it for God to use it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> One thing you said in your sermon a couple weeks ago, which you'll have to help me out when I started out, but it, it was great. You, you said you pray, the prayer that you always pray now is Jesus, um, give me, what is it? Jesus, give me your, yeah. your the eyes that you, give me your eyes to see and can you walk through that, what you pray now? Yeah, I, I, I pray it often. I say, Lord, Lord, help me to see people with your eyes. Help me to go to people with your feet. 
Help me to reach out to people with your hands. And Lord, help me to love people with your heart. Mm, that's awesome. And that's a, that's a, a common prayer that I pray um, very often. And uh, I, I, I think that's the bottom line. Seeing people the way Jesus sees people, ministering to people, whoever they may be. You know, if Jesus calls the whosoevers to him, we're not better than our Savior, are we? So we need to go to the whosoevers out there and and reach out and, and to minister to them. And God has such a heart for that. You mentioned the, the study that we're in at First Baptist Camp Abella right now in the book of Titus. And, you know, Paul wrote this letter under God's inspiration to, to Titus, this young man. The churches of Crete, it wasn't, wasn't a letter to one church with one pastor, but it was churches on the island of Crete that were very much out of order. Mm. And, you know, his instruction, he gives the, in a nutshell, what the whole ministry is to be in verse five of Titus chapter one. For this reason, Paul saying to, to Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Set in order. There's a, there's a word picture from the original language there that, uh, that is setting a broken bone. Is the setting in order that is there. The picture is something's broke <laughs> and it needs to be fixed. And it's the setting of a bone so that as it's set in order, it can heal and it can become healthy. That which was broken can, can heal and become healthy. And <laughs> but the difficulty, one of the difficulties with Titus there is those churches didn't know they were broke, <laughs> broken. They didn't know they were in bad shape. They had to he had to appoint pastors of churches that already had pastors. That's a, that's a tough ministry right there. And to set things in order to help them become healthy. I was being interviewed by a pastor search committee many years ago, and it was a church that had, um, had really struggled. They were, they were really in a tough situation and dying away, uh, to be honest with you. And, and they asked me, they said, well, Pastor Gary, if we call you here to be our pastor, how are you going to make the church grow? You know, church growth, church growth. And, and, and my answer to her at that time is still my answer. I said, my focus, my personal focus, and we've all got different spiritual gifts, but my focus as a pastor is not church growth. My focus is church health. Mm. The church is a living organism. We're not just an organization. There's organization that's involved in the church, but we are an organism, which means we're alive. And if we're a living organism, we are the body of Christ. Mm. So if we're healthy, we're going to grow into everything that God wants us to grow into. If we're not healthy, we're not going to grow like we're supposed to grow. So my emphasis is not so much on the growth as it is the health. And now as we are, as the church becomes healthy, we can begin to grow. And again, it's, it's being who we are called to be. So then we'll do what we're called to do. We don't just sit back and wait for God just to send people. We, we follow the great commission to go reach people, start with our own community and, and join with other like-minded believers in trying to reach the world. But it's, uh, it's, it's getting back to the healing balm of being a biblical church, the, the healing power of being the new Testament church. Setting things in order means we're in order with what he says in his word, mm. not to redefine what we think the church needs to be for today, not to redefine what we want the church to be, 
But to get into the New Testament, like these verses in Titus that we're talking about on these Sunday mornings and say, here is what we're to be and, and not come up with our own definition. The New Testament, God did a fine job with, right. uh, with, what, he, with what he was saying our church needs to be. We're going to be healthy when we put our preferences aside and when we begin to become that New Testament church. We're the same church that we see there a couple of thousand years later now, but we're the redeemed, the blood ball that Jesus gave his life on the cross for. And so we don't need to redefine it. We just need to get in on what God's word says we're to be. Right. And, and how many books do you read us that talk about church growth and talk about what well, the church is? The Man. New Testament defines yeah. it uh, it's pretty fairly clearly. One last thing I, I want to talk about is just, just a quick question. I, and I know I, we had talked about this earlier, but just something I thought of. It. Sure. When you deal with a, with a dispute, I guess, I guess a doctrinal dispute in a church, I mean, where do you draw the line and say, hey, this is not something that's a, this, this is a minor dispute over a minor biblical doctrine. This is not something that is gospel-centered. How do you address maybe some biblical, minor biblical disagreements in the church? So you're talking about things that are biblical, not just preferences, but... Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess you could use an example. Uh, people disagree maybe on creation and, and the years of creation and stuff like that. Do you, do you see that a lot, or is it really just relational-based when, when, pe when there's division in the church? Have you ever... There are very few. There are very few church splits and divisions mm -hmm. over doctrinal issues. Now, we're wow. seeing some more yeah. nowadays than others. Uh, but the vast majority of when you say, when somebody says, well, that church split, that's a common phrase that a lot of people use, and, and it, it does happen. The vast majority of time it's over preference issues. Wow. Now, there are times that, um, that you'll find doctrines, especially those that concern salvation, and um, which I don't think is a minor thing, though. If, if it has to do, if the doctrinal issue has anything to do with how a person is saved or how a person gets saved, there is certainly not anything minor about that. Right. That is, that's major doctrine. We, uh, we, what I do with somebody that if they're getting off the mark with a doctrinal issue is I go to them with love, but it has to be addressed. Some of the verses that I just dealt with this past Sunday and my, my study through Titus deals with the fact that false teaching has to be stopped. It, uh, it, it can't be swept under the rug if it's really not in line with the Bible. So I will go to someone and I'll try to go to them with, with somebody with me, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but a trusted spiritually mature person to say, you know, uh, and, and just take the scripture and just show them why, you know, why that, uh, that particular doctrine not quite what the way you said it. So here's what we believe. And as a pastor of a church, I, I've even as an interim with given that responsibility and along with probably a deacon from that church, I can say that I need you to correct this with whether it was a Sunday school class or, or whatever small group or whatever it may have been, because this is, uh, this is, this is the way we interpret this and Give them the opportunity to get it right, to repent of that, because none of us are perfect. Sometimes we say things that we, we thought they were right, but you know we've got to be mature enough that when somebody can come to us with godly correction, not somebody who's coming to be a smart aleck, not somebody who's coming to punch us in the throat, but somebody who really just wants to come and to biblically confront us and say, this is, this is really more how this, uh, 
this is to be interpreted and give them an opportunity to, to make that thing right. But it has to be dealt with if it's a doctrinal issue, even what we might call minor. If it's, if it's in the Bible, it's important. If it's a biblical issue. Now, again, if it's preferences and things like that, right. you know, we can, we can work around things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I find it really, inter- I find it interesting that it's, this, it's mainly though, it is more of um, preferences and it's that that's what's really at the underlying issue of most church splits. Yeah. I found that, that, that interesting. Yeah. That's been my experience. Right. That's why we couldn't get along. We, okay. uh, we couldn't get along. Uh, sometimes it may be immorality among a staff member that was not dealt with. And there you got, you got half a church that said that needs to be dealt with. You got half a church that says, no, they've been a part of this church a long time and, and we love them. And, and so they just need to leave them alone and, and yeah. just not talk about it anymore. So sometimes it may be a moral or a sin issue. Uh, sometimes it's just, we didn't like the way the music is being done anymore. And they don't sing these kind of songs and they don't sing those kind of songs and music is, uh, you know, boy, a lot of people have let music become so divisive in the church of today. Now, uh, I will say this, that I have seen churches all around our area, and you probably won't want to use this, but over the, the subject of Calvinism and um, the Reformed theology, which has come in to our area with a vengeance in some of the Baptist churches that that has really been devi- uh, a, a divisive issue among churches. So that issue is a doctrinal issue that I've seen churches that ha- it's, it's become a hurtful thing. So that is one thing. Most of the time, though, it's not over doctrines. Most of the time, it's over how this was handled or over my preferences don't line up with well, the way the leadership is is going now. Right. And as an interim pastor, you're really working through the transition period there. Um, yeah. Is it, is it, you, you, do you really, do you get yourself, are you involved in the new pastor decision? Who, who becomes a new pastor? You're really just there to, yeah. to help and, and provide. Um, provide care at that time, right? That's right. Okay. I'm, I'm there. Uh, currently, uh, my major thing is to fill the pulpit, to keep feeding the people, but I'm also a resource. Um, I'm there. If they, if they have questions about this or that, then um, just, you know, I'm, I'm an older guy now, so they think I know something. And so don't tell them any different, okay? Right. And they think uh, if I can give them some, some guidance on this or that as a resource, and uh, I do that. And I love getting to do that. That's something that I really... But I, no, I'm not. I'm not there to tell them who to get as right. their next pastor. Okay. But I am there to keep the people fed during this time. I'm there to try to help keep the people together and keep the focus in the right direction during this time, so that you know sheep can scatter if there's not a shepherd that's there to keep them focused and to keep the leading in the right direction going. So to help keep the sheep from scattering, spiritually speaking, I'm there to help in that. Right. Awesome. Absolutely. Well. I know. I mean, is there anything that we that we want to discuss? I think we're I think we're good overall. I'm good if you are. Absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on, Gary. This has been this has been an absolute pleasure. I really. I'm honored that you asked me. Thank you for caring about this. Yes, sir. I hope somebody gets some help out of this. Absolutely. I I do too. Um, it's it's been a great experience so far, and we're we're really excited to have the people come on. And I, I, I my prayer is that people will will get something out of it, and they'll they'll get a blessing out of it, and that people will uh. We're closer to Christ. That's the ultimate goal, and God is glorified through it. So, Gary, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Absolutely.